Now we finished a couple of weeks ago, we finished our chapter by chapter, or last week, we finished our chapter by chapter, verse by verse study through uh, this book of Philippians. And I hope you, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did going through it. I wanted to come back and revisit something. Uh, it's at the end of the year where I become very reflective. I look back at the year, how did I do? What, what, what am I thinking for the next year? So I think this is just appropriate for us. But there's something that we talked about, but we didn't really develop it. And I want to use this as kind of a launching pad for what we're going to talk about today. But Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So one of the things we talked about is that this church was going through a very difficult time. For them, it was persecution. And so it's in that time of persecution that they're taught to pray, bringing their petitions to the Lord with thanksgiving. And for them, the answer to their prayer would be peace as they go through that time. But it, is, is that all that God wants to do? Does God want to actually answer our prayers? And I want to talk about that today. But I have to tell you a little bit about my own story growing up and, and uh, why I'm talking about this today. So uh, hopefully you will indulge me. Uh, many of you know my story. My parents were separated and ultimately divorced before I was born. And, and um, my mom married uh, my stepfather. And it was not a very happy existence for us. And I was growing up as a very, very troubled young teenager. But by the grace of God, God intervened in my life. And he moved me literally out of the house that I was growing up in, in with another family. And that family has become pretty much my family. Um, God restored my relationship with my stepfather. I've been united with my dad. And, uh, but this is still very much my family after 40-some years. And I'll never forget the first day and every day after moving in with this family that I got up in the morning. When I first went there that night, it was 1130. It was on a Friday night. I showed up at their doorstep. And uh, the first thing I remember feeling is this incredible sense of peace. It was a very, very safe place to be. But I got up the next morning, and every morning after that, Doug, the father in the family, every single morning as I would get up, I stayed in what was called the Florida room, and I'd have to go around the dining room and go over to the bathroom to get ready for school. And Doug would always be at the dining room table. His Bible would be open. He'd have a notepad, a pen, and a large cup of coffee. And that was every single day. That's what I remember being there. Just an incredible peace in this home. And I connected the dots very quickly that there was something about him there with that book open and him in that book and this incredible peace and, and, and just that sense of safety in this house. And so it was in that house that they taught me to be in God's word on a daily basis. And so ultimately over time, I had to move back with my mom and stepfather. It was a very challenging time, a very troubled time. But uh, I was always in the word, always in the word. And uh, then I'd go back over to Doug and Marie's there on the weekends and, and any other time that I could be there. And they, again, they're still uh, very much my family today. So as I grew up, I grew up in this wonderful church, and Doug was also the youth pastor of our church. And when I was 25 was a time where God really began to stir in my heart, for lack of a better vocabulary, and I really began to grow. 
So there was a guy in our church, and uh, I'd learned from Doug about being in the Word on a daily basis. There was this guy in our church, and his name was George Banchbach. And George came up to me one day, and he said, Dan, I want you to tell me about your prayer life. I said, well, you know, I read the Bible every day. He says, yeah, but tell me about your prayer life. I said, well, you know, I, I pray before meals and before bed, you know, and I, you know, I drive to work and I say a prayer. He goes, Dan, I want to teach you how to pray. Would you meet me at the church before work three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I want to teach you how to pray. Would you do that? And I said yes, because you know I didn't want to sound unspiritual or nothing. So I said I'd do it. So I, I, I showed up, and there were four of us that met. There was Moe Nellen. He had been my, one of my roommates from college, and a guy named Chuck Bowie, and George Banchbach. And uh, George did something I had never seen before. George prayed out loud like he really believed that God was actually going to do something. So he would pray, and he'd it'd go something like this. He'd say, God, we come before you today, and we're just so thrilled that you're our Heavenly Father, and your word says, and he quotes some promise, and we believe that we're going to see this take place, and you're going to do this, and we just thank you, God, for your promise, what you're going to do. And I never heard anybody pray like that. I've been in church my whole life. And, um, and then he, he said, okay, Dan, now, now you do that. And uh, I, I wasn't really used to doing that. Usually my prayers went more like, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> but here's what happened. Over the course of the next eight months, as we prayed and we met, we began to see God answer very specific prayers in a way that we could only say it had to be God. And uh, We'd done that for several months, and uh, we came to this place. It was in August, and uh, George got transferred away. It was an answer to prayer. I got accepted into seminary. I went up to seminary, and all of us went our separate ways. Now, I wish I could tell you that it was at that time that God turned me into this incredible prayer warrior. That's not the case. I wish it was the story, but sadly it's not. My spiritual life is like so many. It's kind of like this Back around over here like this, and you know, you, you know how it goes. But I came to the place where I realized that I wanted to have a prayer life that would be a prayer life to where God would actually answer. You, know, you hear about the, these people and God actually answers their prayer. And I wanted that. And I realized that, that I would have to make prayer a study. I wanted to find out all that I could about prayer. You know, one of the things I've learned in life is that many times the most important things in life are the things that we never make a study of. You know, we just think we know. So we get married. We think, I know everything about marriage, you know, and uh, what happens is a few years later, you know, there's counseling. Sadly, at times there's divorce, and it takes two. But when I got married, I realized that I didn't know everything about marriage. I needed to make it a study. And uh, then we started having kids. And, uh, you know, you have kids and some, some people that, you know, they, I know how to have kids. No, you know, I know how to raise kids, whatever. And, uh, and uh, sadly, they don't always turn out the way that we want. And I'd seen that in life. And so I wanted to make parenting a study. And so the last 19, 20 years, it's been a real study in my, in my life. But I also came to realize that for me, uh, prayer is the same way. I grew up in the church. And so I just assumed I knew everything there was about prayer, and uh, what I knew about prayer was something that we'd say, we'll pray about this, and okay, we'll pray about that, but we didn't, and we never really believed that God was actually going to do something. But I, I wanted to have that life where people, when I would pray, something would actually happen, that, that God would actually show up in my life. And so I realized that I had to make prayer a study. And so the last 
umpteen zillion years, whatever it's been, I've been reading and studying and growing in the area of prayer. And some things God has really used to change my life. And uh, I want to share some of those with you real quick. The uh, best prayer book, a book on prayer that I've ever read, is by a guy named Elmer Towns. Elmer Towns is a Baptist. He, he uh, is the co-founder of Liberty University. And he wrote a book called Praying the Lord's Prayer for Spiritual Breakthrough. If you only read one book on prayer in your entire life, this is the book. It's, the, it's literally the best book on prayer I've ever read. Uh, years ago, in uh, 2007, I stumbled across a book. This is a new copy of the book. It's called What You Say is What You Get by Don Gossett. And this book changed literally my life. My, the book that I got originally has fallen apart, and uh, now I have it on my Kindle. But uh, it, it talks about the power. What does the Bible say about the words that come out of our mouth? You know, there's part of the church that gets very weird with the words that come out of their mouth. And uh, so sadly, our side of the church tends to not even talk about the importance of that. And so this book really changed my life. Another book is The Wonderful Name of Jesus by E.W. Kenyon. He died in 1947. And this book talks about the name of Jesus and um, I grew up in this, oh, you know, the name of Jesus is precious and it's powerful, but it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I read this book and saw, here's what the Bible actually says about the name of Jesus. And when you get that, it will change everything in your spiritual life. Uh, Another book in the topic of spiritual warfare, and I've read a lot of books on spiritual warfare, but the single best book I've ever read is called The Invisible War by Chip Ingram. Anything Chip Ingram writes, you can trust. And, and uh, this book helped me to see that there's a whole lot going on beyond what we can see. That there's a whole kingdom, or a couple of kingdoms you might say, uh, beyond what we can see and how those interact in our lives. Another book, this book is probably, uh, again, one of the, those that changed my life. This book is called There's Dynamite in Praise by Don Gossett. This book has changed my life so much. It's very short, it's very simple, um, that over this Christmas holiday, all of our kids and our, us as a family are going to be reading this book together. We'll take a couple of chapters, then we come back and we talk about what the Lord is showing us. Just absolutely transformational. And so I, I say that because in our, in our lives, in our family, we have seen so many dramatic answers to prayer. And I've shared some of those. One I've shared, I can't always share all the things that, that God has done, but it was back in 2009 in our family, we have family devotions. And so we'll come together and we'll pray. And sometimes we'll go, okay, guys pray. And then the next night the girls pray. And then sometimes we go smallest to tallest. And so we start the smallest and then we go all the way up. And then uh, we pray that way. In 2009, Abigail, who's now 18, she was praying every night that God would give us a baby on her birthday. God give us a baby on my birthday. And uh, you know, it, when your kids pray that way, you don't want to be the bad parent that says, don't pray that way. You, know, you, want, them, you want them to believe, right? But you know, did we tell her, you know, God doesn't always work that way. And we've never been looking to go get babies. But Cheryl and I made a commitment many years ago that, Lord, will, will any baby that you bring to us, if it's you leading, then we're all for it. And so 
So she was praying and praying and praying every night. God, give me a baby on my birthday. God, give me a baby on my birthday. So I'll never forget her birthday, September 22nd, 2009. We were here in the building and the staff was walking over to Publix to get something to eat for lunch. It was about 10.30 in the morning. And my phone rings and it's an attorney that I know. And we'd not gone to him saying, hey, we're looking for a baby or anything like that. But he called and said, "Um, I've just got a call there is a baby, and this baby was born three months premature, one pound, nine ounces, spent the first three months in the NICU. There could be some challenges with this baby, and, uh, but as I prayed, I felt the Holy Spirit say, this is the Plord's baby, and uh, this baby needs to go to the Plord's house. If I get emotional, forgive me. But, but it was one of those times where I couldn't say, well, give me a couple of weeks to pray it through, and, you know, but, but we had because God had placed that on Abigail's heart. And so for several months, she said, God, give us a baby on my birthday. Give us a baby on my birthday. So he says, what what do you think? And I said, yes. It was one of those times, again, I couldn't pray, but every cell in my body, it was like God spoke and just said, this is your baby. This is, you're to take, you're to take this baby. So he said, this could happen very quickly if it happens. And, uh, in the world of adoption quickly usually means like three or four weeks. That's what it quickly means. We say, okay. So that night we went to Outback Steakhouse. We're celebrating Abigail's birthday. And uh, our attorney calls and says, are you still in? We said, we're still in. He says, good. I'm bringing the baby over to your house in the next hour, hour and a half. So we ran home to clean the house. <laughs> and and uh, so... He brings her over, and the thing that hit us, she was born three months premature, one pound, nine ounces. She now weighed seven pounds. When he came in, her bed was a car seat, and he brought in everything she had. She had baby food, but there was no bottles. There was no formula, just just baby food. And so we sprang into action, and we immediately, Cheryl ran to Walmart. We got the baby formula, and just every three hours, feeding, 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 and she began to flourish. Now, her name is Magnificent promise. That's the name that we named her. We call her Maggie. She is completely magalicious. She's also called the magpie and little britches. She answers to all of those. The reason I tell you that is that if we didn't see God, I mean, we didn't just get the call on Abigail's birthday. Maggie came home on that day, same day. If we did not see God answer our prayers dramatically through the years, I don't know that we would have launched out into this church. I don't know that we would have said yes every time we got a call. Yes, you know, absolutely. That if there's a baby, absolutely. So I want to talk today about prayer, and I want to talk about how God works in that because I believe that God wants to do dramatic answers to prayer in your life. There's nothing special about being the pastor. It's anybody who will yield themselves to what it is that God wants to do. So the question is there on your outline, is there a way to pray effectively? Is there a way that we can know that, that God is, wants to answer a prayer? Notice this verse. This is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked from him. If it's his will, it's okay 
to believe that he's actually going to answer that prayer. We can have confidence that he wants to do that. So how do you have confidence? Well, in the Bible, God has given a number of promises. Notice this verse on your outline. Peter would say it like this. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. This is where my daughter's name, Magnificent Promise, comes from. His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. The way that you and I become partakers of the divine nature is we choose to believe his promise over our circumstance, over everything else in the world that's saying it's not true. We choose to believe his promise. So the first thing I need to do is I need to find a promise. And you want to write that down. There are over, we are told, over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Now here's what this means. Write this down. There is a promise for every problem. There's a promise for every problem. For the Philippians, the answer to their condition was peace in, but God wants to do more, I believe, in the situations that we face. Sometimes peace is, is, uh, uh, is enough, but uh, God, I believe, wants to do more. Jesus said it this way, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The idea is if you take his promise, you let it go deep inside of you and you say, I'm going to believe what you say over everything else that the world says then, then he says, it will be done for you. What I love is, you've heard me talk about, I have these promise cards and I have several stacks of these. And This works for me. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. But this is what works for me. Every morning I like to start my prayer time by going through these cards. I want to be reminded of God's promises. You know, Isaiah 59, 19 says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. We're told that he goes before us and is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. I will not be afraid. I will not be discouraged. I need to be reminded of those things. So every day I go through my promise cards. I take one stack a day and and go through those. If you would like to have some promises that you can trust, that you can apply to your situation, if you take your connection card and you write the word promises, make sure we have your email address, we'll send that out to you. As a dad... I know that I cannot make promises to my children that I don't intend, I don't intend to keep. And, and the reason I don't make promises to my kids that I don't intend to keep, first of all, because I want to be a good dad. But second of all, because they never forget. And, and if you make a promise, they're going to remind you. Am I alone in this, by the way? They will remind you. So we're very careful to make promises, only promises that we actually intend on keeping. God is the same way as our Heavenly Father. He's very careful to only make promises that He intends to keep. So one of the things that we find, and you want to write this down, is that effective prayer is always based on the promises of God. So when I take that promise, what I want to do and write this down, is I want to pray the promise, not the problem. Pray the promise, 
not the problem. God already knows what the problem is. So I pray the promise. When I pray the promise, I'm just reminding God of what it is that he has promised to me. And so what I find is when my kids remind me of my promise to them, when they remind me of my promise, that turns into performance. When we remind God of his promise to us, that turns into his performance back to us. And that's where we begin to see those answered prayers. So in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians, he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I want to pray based upon God's promises. But here's the part that sadly many within the church world miss. And it's simply this. He says in verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and and supplication with thanksgiving. And I want to talk about that. Thanksgiving is where we begin to thank God in in advance of the answer. Write that down for the answer. So what what is this thanksgiving? Paul would say it like this. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Now he's going to define that for us. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. One of the things that you'll find in the Bible is that praise and thanks are often used interchangeably. They are different, but for our purposes today, praise and thanksgiving, we'll just lump them together as Paul does. But throughout the Bible, cover to cover, we're told that when we pray, we are to give thanks to God in advance, even when we don't have the answer. So for instance, Paul would say it like this on your outline, continue steadfastly in prayer, bringing the promise to God, watching therein with thanksgiving. We pray, but as we wait for the answer, we're thanking God for the answer, even when we don't see how in the world God can answer this prayer. We see in the Bible, again, from cover to cover, that God responds to praise. Now when I praise, when I give thanks, write this down, praise changes our focus from how big our problem is to how big our God is. So there's this great story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I've shared it many times here. Jehoshaphat's a godly king. He wakes up one morning. He's surrounded by a number of armies. He's in a hopeless situation. There's nothing he can do. He's way outnumbered. He can't get reinforcements. And so he calls the people together and they begin to pray. And as they begin to pray, God begins to speak words of comfort to them. But when they began to praise God, that's when God actually acted on their behalf. Notice this verse. It's a great chapter, by the way. Now, when they began to sing and praise, and I've underlined that word when, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the enemy. And I have that word enemy, I call it the impossible situation. God acted on their behalf when they began to praise God. So, God moved in response to their praising him. There are other times in the Bible where God just straight out says, I respond when my people give thanks. I respond when my people begin to praise. 
So notice the next verse from Psalm 67. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. What's the next word? Then. Underline that word, then. Here's what happens. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. God says, when my people begin to praise me, that's when I begin to respond on their behalf. You and I live in a church culture where it's very common at the first sign of difficulty to run for counseling, run for this, run for rehab, run for you know, attorneys, run for, you know, we run to everything, but many times we don't run to the source of, of power that is at our disposal. And we miss out on so much. So if I were in an impossible situation, the first thing I would want to do is I would want to begin to praise God for the answer, even though I don't see the answer right now, but trusting that I will. If we're not intentional about praising God continuously, as Paul wrote to the Hebrew believers, then our only praising God is going to happen on Sunday morning when we come to church. And we're going to be frustrated with God's power, the lack of God's power in our life, and the lack of what it is that God wants to do in our life. It's something that he calls us to do on a continuous basis. I love the story. We looked at it when we began Philippians. Paul goes to Philippi. He preaches. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's thrown into prison. They put him in chains. He's in an impossible situation. He can't fix his situation. There's nothing he can do to help his situation. So what does it say? I put it there in your outline. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God in the midst of their difficult situation. Praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, I love it, it says the prisoners were listening to them. That's how, so we know it was out loud. Suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. I love that. In the midst of their very difficult situation, they could have grumbled, they could have got bitter, they chose to praise God in the middle of it, and God literally blew the doors off their situation. I love that. So if we are frustrated with what appears to be the lack of God's movement in our life, the lack of God's power, the lack of God's presence, we need to ask ourselves, is our life characterized as a life of praise? Because throughout the Bible, that's where the power begins to enter into our life. If I were to ask, what is the most off, what is the command that's given more than any other command in the Bible? Many times someone will say, um, love your neighbor. That's a good one, but that's less than 10 times in the Bible. Uh, somebody will say, well, don't kill, don't commit murder. Well, that's a good one too. That's like less than five times in the Bible. But there's one command that is given over 2,000 times in the Bible. When God gives a command over 2,000 times in the Bible, it's got to be pretty important. Would you agree with that? So the command that God gives over 2,000 times in the Bible is simply the command to praise the Lord. You want to write that down. We're called to praise the Lord over 2,000 times in the Bible. It's the most often given command. In Psalms it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving 
and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Praise and thanksgiving go together. In Psalms, Psalm 22, it says this, yet you are holy, you are enthroned, underline the word enthroned, upon the praises of Israel. The King James says it, says thou inhabitest the praises. I love that word enthroned. The Bible teaches, God tells us that when we begin to praise God, he is enthroned. What that means is that when we praise God, he then goes to the throne or is on the throne in our life. We literally put him in his rightful place. And when we begin to praise God, it says that he inhabits those praises. And what that means is that you will never feel God's presence more. He's never more close to us than when we are praising him. He calls us to praise him. His being close to us when we pray is why throughout the Bible we find, you want to write this down, praise is God's divine antidote for depression. We're told in Isaiah to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When we become depressed, he calls us to begin to praise him, and God steps in and literally begins to lift that oppression off of us. It's very hard for the enemy to get in when we are praising God. I know that there are times there's chemical things. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying for the stuff of life that has a way of weighing us down. That's why Paul, when he was dramatically freed from prison as he was praising God, would write this. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He calls us to praise him, partly because it changes me, And that's the way that God begins to move in our life. So having said that, why is it so many times we as believers, our lives are not characterized by praising God other than coming to church? The reason would be as much as God has promised over 2,000 times, calls us to praise him, he wants to move in our life in that way. There is another entity. And that entity will do everything he can do to tell you, this doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. That's just craziness. You're going to be a fanatic. Uh, He will do everything he can do to stop you from praising God. So what happens when people who profess to be believers do not praise God? Well, there in your outline. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. So what's the result? And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, they became utter fools. The voice that you and I listen to as it relates to praise is going to determine our spiritual direction. If your spiritual life is stale, it's because you're listening to the voice that says, don't do that, that's the dumbest thing ever. Don't don't spend time doing that. You've never met somebody whose life is characterized by praising God uh, who is uh, chronically depressed. There's just something about it. So what is praise? Very quickly, I only have three illustrations. I'll use one this week. I'll tell you the other two next week. Years ago, uh, I used to give the illustration that Cheryl makes the most amazing spaghetti. And uh, she would call me and say, you got to come home. I'm making the spaghetti. I'd drop what I'm doing. I'd run home. And... um, And so um, 
so if I wanted to praise her, if I were to stand behind her and go, praise Cheryl, praise Cheryl, praise Cheryl, warble my voice, praise Cheryl. You know, um, you know the story. Uh, after a few minutes, I wouldn't be eating the sauce. I would be, you bet, I'd be wearing the sauce, you know, because to yell praise Cheryl is not actually praising her. She's praised when I say, thank you so much for thinking of me. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for putting all the effort into this. That's praising her. Yelling praise Cheryl is irritating. Yelling praise God, praise God, praise God. Okay, but how do we praise him? We begin to thank him continuously for the things that he's doing. If you do that, you will find that your life, your spiritual life will be dramatically transformed. Two things very quickly. I suggest establish a prayer routine. Jesus, it says early, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Uh, For me, it's early in the morning. I don't think it matters whether it's early or late, whatever works for you, but find that place. And then I would encourage you, have a list and keep a prayer journal. You want to write that down. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy. It says, remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The reason they were able to remember it is because they wrote it down. When God answers a prayer, you want to put that somewhere that's written down so that in your times of despair, you can go and say, God, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. It encourages your faith. We're out of time, so I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Thanks for your your patience today. Did you at least find that interesting? Good. Let's pray. You can clap. That's fine, too. Yes, he's finally done. (laughs) Let's pray. Pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for revealing some things to us. Help us to be people who praise you and experience you as we praise you and enthrone you in our lives through putting you first in this way. Thank you for this congregation, their faithfulness to you. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.